This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. I've found it really, really entertaining, and I think a lot of it is just a really good comment on modern life. I don't know where to begin. You clearly don't. No, I didn't. Remember when we used to walk, the four of us, and we were all characters? <laughs> now, were you Charlotte? Absolutely. I was Carrie, you idiot, with my oh, curly hair. Oh, that's right. You, you, were, were. Sh- you were Miranda. I was Miranda. No, I wasn't. Was I Miranda? Caro, what did you think of ScoMo's visit to Coco's Institute de Beauté? Good move? Bad move? Really weird move. Really weird move. <laughs> Creepy almost. <laughs> Sam McClure is one of the best young footy sports journos in the country. He's a gun. He will go on from this and I'm not going to say much more. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi everyone, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 204. I am Corey Perkin and I'm here with my dear friend Caro Wilson. Hello Caroline. Hello Corey. How are you? Well, I'm having a lovely summer, as you are. Mine started late and it's just been absolutely beautiful. Hasn't the weather in Melbourne been incredible? You and I were on a beach somewhere last night until very late and that's sort of the way it's been rolling, really. I tell you what, it's a a Goldilocks summer. Not too hot, not too cold, just right here in Melbourne. So anybody from interstate who ever makes a jab at Melbourne's weather, I just want you to remember that this has been the most perfect six weeks I think I can ever remember. Um, Carol, we have a lot to discuss today. We are going to talk about And Just Like That, which is the reworked new version of Sex in the City. Which you've finally, finally tuned into. I did. I was resisting <laughs> and I, I know now why I did resist. We'll talk about that. Oh, and also our very, our very popular new segment, Dear Caro and Corey, Modern Dilemma. We invite our listeners to write into us with any sort of moral dilemma. It might be of matters of the heart. It might be family politics. It might be something to do with bank accounts or whatever. We are here to offer our advice as sage or as crazy I've as got to give you. A, I've got to give you a compliment, Corrie. This was segment was your idea and it's taken off. We have had such brilliant suggestions. We could do a whole show on it. And at some point over the next few weeks, I think we have to create it as a separate little mini breakout podcast because some of the questions are ones that have been – they've almost pinned into my psyche, things that are already bothering me, worrying me, that I'm discussing with you or Anna from the op shop on a walk or one of my kids. I think it's just the most brilliant idea. Do we have the answers, though, Caro? That's the question. Well, <laughs> does anybody, Corrie? My um, – a few apologies. We both owe Ottolenghi an apology. His new cookbook is called Shelf Love, yeah. which is quite <laughs> ironic given that we were talking about self-love Shelf Love Without the H last week. I was scratching around for that title. That's we were calling really it Off the Shelf, me. which was actually an old Marie Claire or Donna Hay. So sorry, Yotam. Shelf Love. And what, if a, wonderful, you're listening. what and, a wonderful cookbook it is. And Caro, this is not an apology, but it's a discussion about an apology. I see, see that Nine Media, one of your bosses, has apologised to Collective Minds for... Uh, for, an, for something that has involved yourself and Sam McClure. And then I note that News Limited is jumping in and really talk about having a kick when they don't deserve to be kicking. What's going on there? Oh, well, look, at, look the whole sort of saga's been pretty disappointing, Corrie, to be honest. 
This was an unbelievable story, of course, um, that involved the Adelaide Crows. The Adelaide Crows have had an interesting time since um, they lost the grand final to Richmond in 2017, a, a year that they were favoured to win the flag. They capitulated appallingly. They went to the Gold Coast for a camp run by a group called Collective Minds. I'm not going to I can't, I've got to be very careful about what I say. But in the two years that followed that grand final loss, most of the assistant coaches left the club, the senior coach left the club, the CEO's gone, the chairman's gone, the head of football is gone. The majority of the Crows' Indigenous players have left the club and we know as a matter of record that they had issues with the camp and a lot was written and spoken about that camp. And and obviously, for a variety of reasons, the Crows have had a lot go wrong at that footy club. But um, yeah, just a, a difficult time for the media. Um, it, if you go back and read the acknowledgement, which followed um, an investigation, I think, by the workplace watchdog in South Australia, um, there was... Uh, well, I don't think that any money changed hands, except I think um, Nine Media covered the legal costs of Collective Minds. If you go back and read the acknowledgement and the um, statement from Nine Media, I think um, News Limited have turned this into something else, you know, besides, which is probably not surprising. They've turned it into, um, they've, they've gone for the individuals, um, which happens. News Limited are are famous for when other organisations win awards. They tend to complain about those awards. And this is given they've cert- certainly targeted Sam McClure, which is really disappointing. Just to say, Sam McClure is one of the best young footy sports journos in the country. He's done brilliant work over many, 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 many months and several years. He won the Alf Brown Award for football journalism last year, along with me, for a completely separate story. He He's a gun. And um, he will go on from this, and um, I'm not going to say much more. Well, I suppose you can't say much more, but uh, it's a bit difficult when there are legal constraints. But um, we have talked about the Adelaide Crows camp a bit on our podcast, and um, uh, we probably won't be discussing it again. I Corrie. guess we won't be discussing for it again. Certainly um, not for now. Um, can I also say to Sue, who we met on the beach, who called me the naughty one in the podcast? She said that with great affection. Jane, please. Jane, um, Sue, I try not to be naughty, but, you know, there's another example of Caro just, you know, bringing me bringing me back into... Um, no, she says that I, that I keep you in check, but Kevin from Geelong says you're a bit loose, which Sue felt was no, a bit unfair. I'm sorry, he said that four years ago. Now, come on, I'm not as loose as I used to be. I think he still thinks it. <laughs> Kevin, There's a, you come were on the me, show, Kevin. Was it you telling me yesterday about this wonderful new arts complex that's opening up in Geelong? Yes, very exciting, GPAC. So we'll have to probably go on tour. We might take uh, Don't Shoot the Messenger on tour, Carol. We could go shoot and see our friends at Hamilton. We could go to Geelong. We're definitely going regional this year, it's whether it's Bendigo, Ballarat, 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 I don't know, somewhere. Well, if you'd like us to come and visit you, cows... Um, you know, wherever, just send us a note and we'll try and fit you on the roadshow. So, Caro, uh, we move on to And Just Like That, which is the 21st century version of Sex and the City. 
which you'll probably recall this, when I was a television writer for The Age, I was invited to a very nice lunch, a soiree at Bendigo Street, Richmond, Channel 9 Studios. Remember when they used to happen? They were huge. <laughs> In you walk and somebody like Peter Hitchin gives you a glass of French champagne. Oh, no, Pete Smith usually was the host. Anyway, we sat down to watch this new HBO series that Channel 9 had somewhat bravely just purchased from the US called Sex and the City. And we watched three or four episodes, including the episode famously known as well, Charlotte's line of "I'm not. I don't want to be known as an up the butt girl." I'll just leave that with you. But um, I thought this was absolutely brilliant. Brave television, new, taking a group of thirty and one forty something women, uh, looking at their relationships, their loves, their love lives, and living in Manhattan. Uh, into into see this was about nineteen ninety eight. Into season three or four, of course, the Twin Towers nine eleven occurred that uh, they made a wonderful show, I remember after that, which was a love letter to New York. Really great show, incredibly popular, won lots of awards, and then it stopped. We had a couple of movies, during which time Carrie married Mr Big, who was her love interest throughout from the very beginning. Who's had his own issues lately, Chris Who's had his own issues lately. But now we move to uh, 2021, 2022, and uh, it's gone to air all 10 episodes of I think this might be the first series, possibly the only series. You've watched all of them? No, well, it's still coming out. Oh, I, I think, think the last one's gone to, has gone to air this week. Oh, has it? Oh, oh I okay. Saw, I saw that on some piece of... Well, I haven't seen, in, in that case, I haven't seen the last one. I think I've certainly done seven or eight or maybe even nine. After I sprained my ankle, I did six in a row, <laughs> which was a really good way to pass the day. Look, this... It's an extraordinary and ambitious project. Um, its biggest downside for me is that there's no Samantha and we know that she fell out with Carrie and the actress, you know, fell out with the entire team. There were money issues. There were mean girl issues. There were lots of issues. And sadly, her absence is explained over the first two episodes rather incongruously that Carrie dropped her as an agent or her PR agent because Carrie simply couldn't justify having an agent anymore. And Samantha moved to London and froze her out. In real life, Kim Cattrall, who played Samantha, had a fight for more money with Sarah Jessica Parker, who is one of the producers. But there was sort of a lot of nasty social media stuff over when um, Kim Cattrall's brother died and remembered Sarah Jessica wrote something. Anyway, it was all very nasty. It was almost unfortunate. And it just, look... Spoiler alert, but this has been written about in so many different articles that I don't think it's bad to bring it up. Don't look at me like that, Chain. Big dies in the first episode. Oh my God, she's just giving well, every, it away. This came out in December and every article I'd read about this show tells you that Big dies. Well, the other thing we know too also is the lovely Stanford, who's um, Carrie's best male friend, he actually died during the series. And they sent um, him off to Asia, which was a bit well, strange. Well, it was so sad because he died. I think he had pan- pancreatic cancer. And, and, and he, he leaves his partner he was and, unwell. and yeah. moves to Asia, yeah. which is sort of quite unusual. Anyway, but look, so the, the the loss of Samantha, the fact that she didn't turn up for Big's funeral and just sent flowers. I mean, people who love Samantha were horrified by this. Samantha would always have come back for Big's funeral, you know, blah, blah, blah. But taking away from that and the fact that, Charlotte looks sort of permanently stunned <laughs> mm. as a result. Of a, a good a good mouth lift will do that. Um, you know the the big the biggest criticism from certainly the younger generation in my family is that there's less soap operatic stuff about the ladies, 
now that they're in their 50s and early 60s or 50, I guess they're in their 50, early 60s. 57, I think, is is, um, is is that they have tried to embrace every single social moray and woke situation that they possibly could. The amount of new black friends in the show, the non-binary element of the show, which happens both to their offspring and also to their partners, there is so much wokeness that it is just extraordinary. But they... Once you get used to that, I think I find it highly entertaining. I think some of the lines are still absolutely brilliant. Carrie's gear, still just as good. And look, you can find fault with it, Corrie, but it's still, I've found it really, really entertaining. And I think a lot of it is just a really good comment on modern life. I don't know where to begin. You clearly don't. No, I didn't. For me, the humour is flat. Oh. The characters have become quite earnest, and there are a couple of. I oh, thought. Oh, agree and last with that. Week, and last week you said uh, you were saying that the big issue for you was that Samantha, or one of the big issues, was that Samantha wasn't there, and she certainly was a driving force. She was the naughty one. Let's talk about naughty ones. Let's talk about women who are loose. Jane, Kevin, from Geelong, not me. Well, remember when we used to um, walk the four of us, and we were all characters. <laughs> now, were you Charlotte? Absolutely. I was Carrie, you idiot, with my oh, curly hair. Oh, that's right. You, you were, were. Sh- you were Miranda. I was Miranda. No, I wasn't. Was I Miranda? <laughs> you were. You Gee, were very Miranda. It'd be in very interesting being Miranda. I was never like Miranda. <laughs> anyway, Miranda is um, played by Cynthia Nixon, and she is yeah. a very good actor. She's in this new wonderful series, The Gilded Age, that people are raving about. Yes, and she also tried to become uh, had an unsuccessful attempt at being, uh, although successful in terms of her numbers of becoming mayor of New York. But anyway, getting back to this, Samantha is missing. But it's not just that Samantha is missing. The storyline of Sex in the City used to be fueled by their sex lives, their love affairs, their loving relationships well, and their, and their friendship. We've still... lost one of the driving forces with yep. the friendship, which is Samantha. And it just seems to me that they're grappling for storylines. So they're introducing all of this kind of new, as you said, um, interesting new characters. Um, One of the most unbelievable parts of this, and I was talking about it with my daughter, Francesca, this morning, who who reminded me, Caro, when I left the Channel 9 studio in 1998, they gave us a few videotapes of the show. So I had, they gave me about 10 episodes in the goodie bag that we hadn't watched at the lunch. So I bought this home. Unbeknownst to me, my then 12-slash-13-year-old daughter had her still best friend, Laura, around for a play date or an overnighter or something. I don't know where I was. And they watched all the episodes, including I'm Not the Up the Butt Girl. So <laughs> uh, apologies to Laura's mother and father. It, it's all because of me. That's all I can say. But um, but as as... I think I might have watched a few episodes with Ned when he was about four. four. We were just so well, Not really realising no, that he was watching No, it. it's terrible. It's terrible. But it's just like when I took the but six, there was no, two, two no, six-year-olds to see the wedding crashes. I disagree, Whoa. Corrie. There was no violence. <laughs> no, just let me finish though, Caro. So, so, you, so Laura and Checker have been dissecting and just like that at Norseum over the last couple of weeks. And as they both said, like, what has happened to Miranda? Now, Miranda was a high-powered lawyer, 
20 years ago in the series. And now she's floating around making ridiculously silly faux pas in a kind of a woke, trying too hard way in her new law course. She's decided to go back to university. As Lauren Checker said, she'd be the partner of a law firm. She'd probably have a political career. She'd be on 10 boards. Being a New York Democrat, which that has always come through that that's their line of voting, she would be really aware, instinctively aware of not crashing and blundering like she did in that first or second episode when she takes herself off to the um, to university for that first tutorial and makes all those stupid mistakes. They are furious because they always with the, saw... With the black lecture, lecturer. Yeah, because yeah, they I always saw... that was a brilliant but scene. But they always saw Miranda as being somebody, what, 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 a, what a high-powered corporate woman would want to be, you know, highly evolved, you know, got got partnerships um, in the bag, gets married and has the kid because she does believe in love and does believe in mother's motherhood, but has this amazing career. And they're looking at they're looking at Miranda and they're saying, what happened to her? Charlotte is still a parody of her silly self. But Carrie, what's happened to Carrie? As Checker said, Carrie had this great career. Like, where are the books? She's got one podcast in this new show. Where are the books? Where's the writing career? Why is she not like Fran Lebowitz or one of those amazing, uh, Gloria Steinem or one of those American women? I don't think she was quite Gloria Steinem, Carrie. But one one of the podcasts, one of the podcasts. She was always a bit light and fluffy. The podcast, Shay or Che, whatever her name is, she says to Carrie, you know, you were a game changer. Whatever their name is, because Shay is non-binary. Sorry, their name. Um, she says they say to Carrie, "You you were you were a game changer. You were you were at the beginning. You were the start of it." Well, where was that? Where did that energy go? She married big, and now she's loaded. She walked into her wardrobe, walk-in wardrobe, which is the scene I loved in Big's apartment. All her shoes are laid out all her handbags, everything. I felt like we were in the front salon of the old George's couture department. Not Carrie, what happened to her funny little apartment with all the... I know she goes back there in this, but she is loaded. She has changed her character so much. All of her um, curiosity. Checker and Laura are furious that we don't hear Carrie's voice anymore, the voiceover that kind of gives you the reason why this... Episode is, episode well, it's still is there at up. the end and just like that. Well, yes, but it's not the same because Carrie used to be our narrator and and while we were seeing these random sporadic scenes with some, with four characters, she would bring home the bacon with the dilemma of the week. You know, is it St Valentine's Day or, or do you ask a guy on a date or whatever the dilemma is. So we're kind of missing that structure and missing her voice. When she says, and just like that, you know, Big died – Yay, we hear the voice, but that's kind of like one of the very few occasions we do. I don't know. I just, I know it's, it, I know people are trying to compare apples and apples. I also don't think that in our fifties we become quite so earnest. Like you and I and the cornballs, for example, we're still killing ourselves over our own jokes. I think, I think, and um, the grief thing is also very heavy on this show. I have to say. Well, fair enough. I mean, she's just lost her husband in the most shocking Was way. Was that a great idea to and do that? To bring that in? Because it really sets the tone for the first few episodes. Well, it, it carries single again. So that's what it sets the tone for. And that's fascinating to me. I couldn't disagree more about the Cynthia Nixon character, Miranda. I think here is a woman who is burnt out by the law profession, who need, needed a change, who feels trapped in a loveless marriage with a teenage son who is just having wild sex all the time and she and her husband are finding it really uncomfortable. And Steve's deaf. 
Steve is great, but he's deaf, and you know that there was a very awkward, not very successful scene where they try and have sex against the kitchen bench, and it sort of just makes you feel embarrassed. I thought the scene with her lecturer it's was just brilliant. Sex when you watch anybody in their fifties having sex, and no, who, that's not true. Who has sex on the kitchen bench? Seriously, who has sex in their fifties? Well, no, no, but I, I just think I disagree in, entirely about her because she does exactly what so many women I know are doing. They leave the corporate life and they go back to study. But she wouldn't make all those errors with no, the African-American tutor. Well, she, because she didn't know. I mean, that, that might have been exaggerated, but I thought the way it played out was very realistic, very funny, and I laughed. And then the way they resolved things, she and the black African lecturer character, who is a brilliant woman and a really good character in the show, and again, a bit sad because she's got her own problems. I think that is very, very clever. I think she becomes, not only does she fall in love with someone else, and I'll leave that for a spoiler alert because that is obviously, whether it's real love or whether it's just passion or lust, but she does leave Steve for some period of the show and he's he feels trapped in her life. He breaks out to go back and study, which a lot of women in their late 50s do. He leaves her husband, which a lot of women in their late 50s do. He falls in love inappropriately, a lot of people do, and becomes incredibly – I disagree again with what Checkers and Laura say because she becomes really socially active and she goes and works in these wonderful – and makes all her friends come and work in all these wonderful collectives. Won't get them let away, get away with just writing a cheque. No, you've got to come and actually do the job, do the painting of this halfway house or whatever it is they're fixing up. I think her character is the best thing about well, the, the new girls, show. Well, the girls have this theory, and I wonder whether you agree, the girls have this theory that Cynthia Nixon now, as you say, she's uh, she's a highly sought after actor and clearly from where she was and where she, where she is now is really different professionally. But their view is that she has probably said, listen, I want I want a meatier role here. I want some big issues to deal with because it's important to me that I do that. So they've tried to find some big issues. And they've used her to look at issues of non-binary love, you know, broken marriages, you know, racial relations. I mean, I think I think her character has been used really, really well. I thought the scene at Big's funeral was very funny and very clever. I, I don't know. I just I really disagree about that. And I, I also... I felt uncomfortable through the whole thing. I actually agree with Lucy Mangan in The Guardian who said it could have, should have been great. The idea of the best friends returning to navigate the complexities of female life and friendship in their 50s, a rare televisual sight was a fine idea. And I also think it's interesting watching them struggle to get to the front of the queue, get the best seat at the restaurant, to get the best position going into a nightclub. All of that are things that happen to people in their late 50s, when they, particularly women, when they feel they become invisible. No, I do love that. And I agree with you also. I love the outfits. They're just insanely amazing. Not just the three key characters, Carrie's but the clothes. women. Carrie, Carrie's dress. There's a lot of money. Is. There's a lot of money in this and just like that. Which is, you know, again, well, it was unrealistic that Carrie earned so much and even had a publicist when she had her old job. But yet now she's obviously inherited a lot of money as well. Nope. Sorry, I know it's not perfect, but I'm happy to have them back. I just wish Samantha was there. Oh, well, we'll be interested to... Um, to uh, the other thing... Oh, no, I'm not going to talk about the masturbation scene in the first episode. I'll just let that go. But uh, just go to, they just, call it self-love now, Just go to we? the cinema and look at the brass yeah. and things, Dad. <laughs> That's right. So, Caro, uh, continuing a female theme here, Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins are speaking at the Canberra Press Club tomorrow as we Grace record Tame this. Grace Tame and Brittany on- Higgins might 
I actually say it's a bit offensive to be saying they're the same theme as the new no, series. No, of we're Sex all, we're in the talking city. about women. I said we're talking about okay, women. Fair enough. Um, but uh, we're recording this podcast, of course, on Tuesday and on Wednesday. They're speaking at the Canberra Press Club. We know that this is a sellout event, which is interesting in itself. I wondered why. Why do you think this is a f- that these two extraordinary women, these young, brave. Uh, highly articulate and women who have had a lot of publicity in the past 12 months. Why do you think that this is a sellout event? Can you explain this? Are they game changers, I guess, is I'm, what I Of course they yes, are. Yes, I agree. I'm answering and, it. It's and, a Dorothy I'm, And I'm not surprised at all it's a sellout event. If I could get to Canberra, I would go there I and I thought listen. exactly the same thing. In fact, I went online last night to see if I could get a ticket. Maybe they've got a waiting list as long as your arm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. It's a sellout event. It can only spell more misfortune for Scott Morrison, who's having a, a very bad week. It was interesting watching Four Corners last night, wasn't it? Just how many, when you looked at all the things that it, it certainly had gone right for him and where voters felt he was badly treated or should be commended to where it's all gone horribly wrong, you know, in the last year or two, certainly, certainly in the last few months. And the big big, big issue has been his relationship with women. And I guess it it dates back partly to, you know, to that comment where he quoted his wife and, you know, being the father of daughters and was just so terribly glib. Obviously, that really unfortunate comment he made in Parliament about, isn't it great we have a democracy and, you know, these women aren't being shot when they're protesting or whatever it was he said. I think really, really poor decision. You only you only need to look at um, Grace Tame's face when she went to the lodge a few weeks ago, and I know some people felt she disrespected the occasion, but others, as we agree, probably thought that by not going would have been more, wouldn't have made the statement she wanted to make. You can't think this is going to end well for Scott Morrison. It'll be interesting to see whether they're really, really sub- if they have to be subjected to tough questioning, the way the Prime Minister himself was when he spoke at the press club last week. And I'm really looking forward to hearing Brittany Higgins speak. It was interesting, that story about how she'd been um, shut out of being part of that apology day, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes. So Kate Jenkins, in her most excellent report, we understand it's excellent, um, was uh, she, one of her first suggestions was that there was an apology and acknowledgement to people, women who had worked within the federal uh Parliament, parliamentary structure, that there was an apology to to them, and I gather that uh, people who had spoken with Kate Jenkins off the record for her report, they were all invited. At some point, though, uh, Brittany Higgins has not received an invitation. That has been rectified, according to, according to Zali Stegall this morning on radio, who's part of this um, committee, um, overseeing it with Simon Birmingham. So that's uh, that's been rectified, and I'm sure, again, by the time the podcast goes to air, we will know how all of that particular day and that apology unfolded. But, Caro, what did you think of ScoMo's visit to... Coco's Institute de Beauté or Coco's hair salon in um, Mount Eliza last week. Good move? Bad move? Really weird move. Really weird move. <laughs> Creepy almost. <laughs> so some men in my life thought, oh, well, what's the big fuss? If you're a woman and you're having your hair washed and you have long hair particularly, it's quite an intimate, soothing, it's quite personal the hairdresser is in your personal space. My God, he or she has their fingers in your hair. 
It was Which weird. is personally my one of my favourite experiences every time I go to the hairdresser. Not if the Prime Minister is doing it too no, in front no. of 10 cameras. And it did look weird, didn't it? It looked creepy. It was just a really weird decision. Um, no, um, unfortunately, not a lot of substance going on at the moment. I think Scott Morrison, the only – look – you, know, you don't think people are really going to vote for Anthony Alban- Albanese. He hasn't really been a compelling opposition leader. He's just not that compelling. I'm looking forward to seeing him on Four Corners next week. If Scott Morrison loses, he will lose because you know he'll be because voted out. Him. They won't be voting in someone. And, you know, it, it's really disappointing for me if we get a hung parliament and if the independents end up controlling this. If people like Clive Palmer have any sort of influence at all, it will be really disappointing if in May that happens. But... I just think he's got to start making decisions and just get tough and just win or lose on his own merits. I mean, you mentioned Zali Stegall. I don't think they even have an opponent yet for Zali Stegall in what was once, you know, a safe Liberal seat held by Tony Abbott. Just extraordinary that those decisions haven't been made. There just seems to be a lot of inaction and a lot of really crazy publicity stunts. Yes, agree. Agree. Uh, they, they need to get election ready. Both parties do. And I, I uh, agree with you with Four Corners. Last night, of course, they were examining Scott Morrison talking to a group of very articulate, terrific, swinging voters in uh, marginal seats around Australia. And the same group of people next week will talk about Anthony Albanese. The shorts that we saw, the promo, it doesn't all go well for Albo, I have to say. <laughs> No. People aren't jumping out of their skin to support him. Anyway, it's a really good series if you can get it or get it on ABC iView. Just a quick nod, Caro, to another woman of substance, well, two actually, the Queen and the, the one day to become the Queen Camilla. I'm really glad that they've kind of dealt that very clever PR move on behalf of Buckingham Palace to get the Queen to say that she feels that Camilla should be Queen rather than waiting for Charles uh, on his accession to the throne to make that decision. So uh, Charles's PR machine, 20 years down the track, has the biggest victory of all. Yeah, look, it, it certainly um, w- would not have gone down well if it had happened after after the Queen died. I am disappointed at her 70 years that it's been all about when she goes, but certainly in Australia that's a massive issue and the only time you would hope to um, get a republic over the line because it's certainly not going to happen before. Um uh, look, I don't have a huge issue with Queen Camilla. Do no, you? I don't. No, time, time, time heals all wounds. I mean, you know that, and she's been a very good servant. We know from biographies. Has she? And so on. Well, having not, said that, we know from biographies. She didn't and have so a very good face on at the Brisbane Commonwealth Games. <laughs> she, she was in and out over about two days. Well, some critics have said that she has been lazy at times, but I think that's a bit cruel. She's certainly done a lot for literacy literacy programs among young children in the UK. Uh, she has Camilla's. She has the book club, uh, Clarence House Book Club, which is kind of oh, interesting. Corey. <laughs> Come on. Look, I'm trying. Come on. I'm trying. Now, Caro, I just want to take this opportunity to thank our podcast sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. Red Energy have been with us now for more than a couple of years, and we love the connection with this gang. They are a terrific group. They are Australian-owned, and they provide power for you from the Snowy Hydro. Prince Wine Store, of course, we love princewinestore.com.au, and they have a lovely wine shop here in Melbourne and one in Sydney. You can go and visit them or order online. We love them both. And if anybody out there has a business or a brand that they think, gosh, I'd quite like to be aligned with Carol and Corrie, jump in. 
talk to Miss Jane, just send a note to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and we can take it from there. But we'd love – the more supporters we have, uh, the, you know, the more fun we all get Travel, together. Travel, culture, fashion, tea, food. Tea leaf. Is there a tea leaf manufacturer out there who would like to – Books, shops, Anything. Anything. A PR company. The arts. Yes, exactly. Or a recruiting company. Anyway, I just thought I'd put that plug in. But thanks for Red Energy and Prince Wine Store support. We really appreciate it. On to Dear Caro and Corey. Jane, have we got the theme music lined up for this yet? I might have to find something with harps, do you think? (laughs) Dear Caro and Corey. What are your thoughts on lending or giving money to your children for a deposit to get into the housing market? Very pertinent. If so, if you do and it's a loan, do you charge them interest? Do you think a lot of baby booners will go into their superannuation to help their children get into the housing market? Corrie. Well, I don't feel entirely qualified on this. Firstly, from myself as as a potential recipient of mother's um, Money, but also um, as a giver to my children. I well, do, two of I your know, children already own houses. They do. They are really lucky, and a lot of people aren't, and I acknowledge that. I have never been in a position in recent years because of the bookshop um, and living below the poverty line. Oh, I've please, ne- don't no, say but that. I've never been, that I've is never a ridiculous been, statement. I've never been in a position that I have had to think this through, sadly, because I think it would be one of the greatest gifts that you could give your children, particularly at the moment. But I just wanted to say this about my mother, who did loan my brother some money when he was younger for his home. She said, you can pay me back, which I think was a good discipline. She wavered any interest. So she essentially looked at it as money sitting in her bank that wasn't earning any interest that she didn't need at that particular time. And I think it was something like, I don't know, $100,000 or something like that. Not sure. And it was a, a sort of a payback situation. And I thought that was pretty fair for a widow who, yes, had a couple of businesses, but they were semi-struggling. You know, she wasn't overly loaded, my mother, but I thought it was a very generous and fair thing to do because it taught my brother and certainly me watching that unfold um, that that you have to you have to honour debt. You ha- you know, having having a loan doesn't mean you have it. A loan is a loan. You pay it back. A gift is a gift, and that's something a bit different. What about you? Well, clearly, it depends on where you are financially and where your children are financially. But it's a really pertinent question because the housing market has never been more challenging. Um, I also had help from my parents to buy my first house. Brendan and I had help. Brendan had some money I didn't at the time. Um, I I think it, it should be even across the board, but that again is difficult because everyone's finances are different. I don't believe, personally, I wouldn't charge interest. And my hope would be that I will be able to help all my children at some point. Um, I think dipping into your superannuation is problematic because unless your superannuation is extraordinary, you know, we all hope to live until we're 90 these days, so we need to hang on to our superannuation. But certainly I think it's a wonderful thing to do. No to interest, yes to divvying it it out evenly. And I think um, we're already putting our thoughts towards maybe not necessarily for a house, but just for life in general. I I also, though, have problems with um, 
I think it's difficult for people to give up their own lifestyle. I don't think you should give up your own lifestyle so your children can have houses, but I do think you should help them if you can. I think that, um, and this this is a situation with a woman who is I'm not close to, but I know well and really admire, and she in recent times has helped all three children with houses. It's not even financially, but it suited their needs. One is um, a house outside of Melbourne in a really lovely part of the world where these people wanted to live. One has been her beautiful place in Melbourne, which is an apartment in a city where those people wanted to live. And one has been to give some money to the third child towards getting a house in somewhere really expensive like I don't know, I want to say Fitzroy or Carlton or something like that. So um, I think that is the way you go. You, needs must. You know, I think you, you suit the certain needs, but I think it's the most fantastic thing you can do. But I was walking with um, a friend or relative the other day and they said, what is it about all these people suddenly giving their kids money for houses? I mean, it's ridiculous. And I can see that point as well because – you know, you and I are still relatively young. We've got a lot of years to live and you would only do it if you were really in a position to do it. And I often hear friends lament that they wanted to be able to do it and they couldn't. And I don't think you should beat yourself up about it. But charging interest, no. No. And and the other thing too that I would say to our listener, um, and again, thank you for this very interesting uh Question. It's so, Carol and I have been thinking about it a lot the last couple of days and chatting about it. Uh, I think you've got to be even, Caro, too, don't you? If you have three children or five or six or whatever you have, you've got to evenly distribute it. And that doesn't always happen. And circumstances can change in a parent's life as well. They might be able to come forward and say, okay, we'll give you $50,000 for your first home. But then five years later, that might not be there for the second, third and fourth sibling. Who knows? Well, that's the other thing. So you've really got to think about how you do this. Yeah. Well, my children are six years apart from oldest to youngest. So the youngest is going to have different needs to the oldest. But you've got to remember when you help the oldest that the youngest should get the same. Exactly and, um, right. Yes, and, and I also come from a family of three siblings and it hasn't ever been an issue and everyone's always been very fair and those who needed it at the time have generally been helped. But, no, oh, it's tricky. It's I tricky. Think, I think we've raised it as a dilemma. We haven't really answered. My only definite one is I don't think you should probably charge interest if it's a loan. Me too. And be and be fair to all siblings, all children. And uh, if anybody has some thoughts on this one that they would like to contribute, some views one way or the other, we would absolutely love to hear from you at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. If anyone would like to buy me a nice little cul-de-sac, a nice little house in a cul-de-sac in Fitzroy, I'd be very happy. Thank you very much. I need a drink now, Jane. Get that trolley happening. Caro, Miles from Prince Wine Store, our regular correspondent, is still away on holiday drinking his way around Victoria. I hope you are, Miles. I hope you're having a lovely break. And we have in his place his colleague, Gabrielle Poy from Prince Wine Store. Hi, Gab. How are you going? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. And and I uh, just wanted to thank you again for putting together... Caro says yet another order for Cory, which is a bit mean. I don't, I don't live down at your shop, but you did put together a terrific order, including the January specials box, which I'm working my way through, or we are at home. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Now we're going to kick off with a theme of St Valentine's Day because that's the big day next Monday. Caro usually receives a note in the Herald Sun from her husband, a love letter. 
Um, I don't or the know. age, yes. <laughs> or the age, whichever one. Uh, I think those days are over, Carol. Or I do don't. You... No, I don't. Don't think he puts a message in anymore. But it is a day for cocktails. Well, it's a and day. It... I was going to say, my husband makes me a cup of tea in bed, but it is also a day for cocktails. Gab, what do you reckon we should be drinking on February the fourteenth? Well, for those that um, are abstaining from alcohol, that have the stamina to for the month of Feb, unlike myself. Um, but there's a great collection from Lears and it's developed by some um, food scientists and I'm pretty sure it's here in Melbourne. We just tasted through the range last week and my favourite was their Italian orange. So it's non-alcoholic. Um, it's very similar to a Campari. So it's got all those lovely sort of Amaro bitter um, botanicals in there and a really sort of um, uh, a savoury finish. I had one the other uh, night, Gab. It was beautiful. If I didn't know it was non-alcoholic, I wouldn't have. I I might have actually thought. Really? Where did you pick yours up from? I was just served it. Oh, really? um, Yes, on Sunday. So it is around. It is available. Yeah, it is. I'm pretty sure they're serving at some of the great places, like um, maybe Supernormal or Gimlet, um, because there is a big demand out there for non-alcoholic spirits um, and drinks and mocktails. But this, for me, was one of the standouts from their lineup. Um, and I could imagine this just being served in a, like a, a long, tall glass with lots of ice, um, some soda water and a big wedge of orange and a nice sort of 45 mils of this um, of Italian orange, which is very similar to a Campari. Name again, so Gab? It's Lears, L-Y-R-E-S, yep. Italian orange. Yes. And they're sort and of an Aperol one and a Campari one, I think. Yes. I'm a bit of a bitter kind of freak. I love bitter and savouriness. And I think just with a nice big wedge of orange, it would just offset it a little bit. But I really like it. You could even do some tonic, half tonic, half soda. Yeah. How do they serve yours, Caro? They just serve um, just with soda. Soda and, fun, um, and yes, with, with a bit of orange. Absolutely. But yeah. You know that lovely dried orange people are selling now? Yeah. Sort of yes, like, and that looks amazing. Like sun-dried tomatoes, but an, or- an orange version. And w- yeah. what about if we're not interested in FebFast and we're actually having a drink? <laughs> well, we <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> we go straight to champagne. Yes. Um, and rosé, one of my favourite rosé champagnes, is from a producer called Andre Clouet. Um, so based in Champagne, um, in the infamous or famous French region. And they're, um, they're, it's all Pinot Noir estate. So they're in the Valley de la Marne. Oh, no, sorry. They're in the Montagne de Ronce. Um, and it's called Boozy, the little village that they're in. B-O-U-Z-Y. Appropriately um, named, yes. Yes. <laughs> and this rosé, it's got a bit of um, structure but also a really lovely elegance and flow to it. So it's mainly Pinot, and to, to, to make champagne, it goes through the secondary fermentation, and they've added lots of reserve wine in there, so it's got a really lovely depth and savouriness. The bead on it, the flow is really quite elegant. So that would be one of my favourites. Yeah, Sounds beautiful. Champagne. And you've got, a mm. non, you've got a non-wine product that you're recommending, Gab. And you've got a non-wine product there for us, Gab, as well. Yes. There's a beautiful cheese from up in Normandy, and it's called the Coeur de Neufchâtel. So Coeur meaning heart, and Neufchâtel is the little town it's from. And it's in the shape of a heart, and it's very similar to a camembert. Um, it's got like a sort of nice bloom and a really chalky um, centre. Oh, how and pretty. It's got a really lovely history. One of my colleagues, actually, Effie, is very uh, well-versed in cheese. 
she used to um, work in the cheese industry. So she was explaining it to me this morning and it wasn't originally made in the shape of a cheese. So it wasn't originally for St. Valentine's Day. But during the Hundred Year War up in Normandy, the um, milking maids fell for their um, for the English um, occupiers. Oh, and what they a story! Making the cheese, cheese did they, in the oh, of the heart. Did they really <laughs> fall for them, or were they attacked like, like women often were when people came and raped and pillaged through their village? Oh, well, that's kind well, of sweet. Yeah, well, yeah, it is sweet. There is probably some yeah. Um, nasty stories behind it but um can we buy this at prince wine store gab no um you could get it from the spring street cheese seller caitlin's down there on spring street next to the city wine shop in european or harper and bloom i'm sure would have it um richmond hill larder uh, or bills at the melbourne market lots of those Cour de neuf chatel and um the the the, um andre clouet rosé champagne um how much is that going to set us back $88. $88. That's not too bad. For a beautiful, mm. beautiful champagne. And it's and it's St. Mm. Valentine's Day. And then what about the, Lear, the Lear's Italian yes. orange? For a 700 meal, that's $42. Princewinestore.com.au and use the promo yep. code M-E-S-S. You're reading the show notes. You know that all. You know that off by oh, heart, I don't, I don't need to, Corrie. We say it every week <laughs> because that's what all our wonderful audience does. And if you do that, and, and just remember to say that Carol and Corrie sent you, but you don't need to, and you'll receive um, the listener discount in our show notes. Gab, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Gab, thank you very much for joining us today. Gabrielle Poy from Prince Wine Store. Lovely. Thanks for having me. Book, screen and food, Caro, as we settle back with our little glass of champagne here, celebrating St Valentine's Day, and you have a book by one of my favourite crime writers, Anne Cleves. Well, Anne Cleves sort of is a bit of a theme through BSF this week, Corrie, because the new series of Vera has started on the ABC. But I'm reading the new Detective Matthew Venn novel, which is um, it's the second Matthew Venn novel. We've I talked- loved the first one. Yes, and the new one is called The Heron's Cry, again set in North Devon, one of our favourite parts of the world. Uh, Matthew Venn is um, – well, the – this is by the author who created Vera, who created, um, is it Perez in um, Shetland? Mm, mm. Um, but the Jimmy he- Perez, yeah. what a hunk. Oh, wonderful, wonderful I'd like show. I like to say that these days. Shetland is just a Thank fabulous you, show. Well, Matthew Venn's a bit of a hunk too because the, f- the first book has become um, – a um, series on SBS and it started last Thursday night. Really? And it, yeah, and it's really good, really, really good. Um, Anna from the Op Shop put me onto that one. Thursday night's SBS 8.30. But the second one, The Heron's Cry, um, Matthew Venn's interesting. Well, he's, it's no big deal, but he's interesting in terms of her characters. He's gay. He comes from a very, very tightly knit religious community in um, the West Country of England. He has left that and has um, come out both, you know, religiously, um, both socially and in every other way. And he's married. He's married to a wonderful man who is very much a part of the show, who runs a sort of a place called The Woodyard, which is sort of an arts precinct in North Devon where different artists come, where there's a cafe, where he employs all sorts of people who need help, struggling artists. Um, anyway, he's a wonderful character in himself, Jonathan, the, um, the, the husband of... 
um, Inspector Detective Matthew Venn. All the characters in it are wonderful, including the two sidekicks, one female, one male. This mystery begins with a murder. Um, a man has been stabbed in the neck by a shard of glass from a glass-blown vase created by one of the young artists who is a major character in the book who is working um, on an estate run by a very, very wealthy money market man who's come back to his roots in the West Country to sort of pay back. It's a fascinating story. Um, it's yeah, I didn't pick it. Don't I, give anything away, Caro. I didn't pick the murderer. Um Detective Matthew Venn has a lot of unresolved issues with his past life, the religious community, his relationship with his mother, his relationship with his husband. They are both very, very different. And is Devon a big part of the story oh, like it was in the first Huge. Yes. So, I mean, we, so we know that Anne Cleves, when her husband died, she moved back to their original homeland when they were very first married. And she moved back to North Devon from where she had been living elsewhere. And um, in an interview, she said that every day she walks the moors or the coastline of North Devon and she thinks about her husband, which I thought was really beautiful. Well, oh, it's incredible. I mean, she also does brilliant... um Where's Vera set around Newcastle, mm. um, Northumberland, which is fantastic as well. Some of those sweeping areas by the sea and almost moors, aren't they? And where Vera lives is really fascinating too. But um, the new series on SBS is called The Long Call. And it's, oh, good. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, the actor who plays um, Matthew Venn is just like you would imagine him. And the house, the beautiful house on, you know, that is sort of on a huge sort of area, almost, well, well it's by the sea, but it's almost on a, in a wetland area. It's, oh, glass front, absolutely wonderful and just like you'd imagine it, which brings us to the new series of Vera. Have you been watching it? Yes, I have. So the thing about Vera is that you just, if it wasn't for the incredible talent of Brenda Blethen, who now apparently works with Anne Cleves writing, says things like, Vera wouldn't say that, Anne. <laughs> Anne adores her. They adore, they adore each other. But if it wasn't for Brenda, I'm not sure how this would stand up. I don't think I could have anybody else in that role. Um, and if they decided to focus on somebody like DC, Kenny, how many times does Vera say, Kenny, just take it down to forensics or... Oh, that'll do pet. Oh. <laughs> Kenny goes missing in episode two because one of his daughters is getting married and Vera says, <clears throat> excuse me, to one of the other detectives, I'm sure that that daughter of Kenny's has been married three times now and the detective responds, "Not Mum, Kenny actually has three daughters. And she looks horrified. She has absolutely no idea because she's such a cow to poor old Kenny. It's just, I do worry about, I do worry about Vera's diet. How many scenes have we seen her in the morning racing out of that little hut in nowhere, no man's land with a steaming hot cuppa and munching on a piece of toast, which usually ends up throwing out of Everybody the worries window. about Vera's diet, including all of her colleagues. She's so including unhealthy. Aiden. <laughs> Remember when he tried to get her to join a gym or was that the previous guy? I think that was the previous one. Oh, look, it's kicked, it's picked up where it's left off. Do you know, Caro, every episode, so this is the 11th series of Vera, but every episode, each night in the UK when it goes to air, they get 7.8 million viewers on a Sunday night to watch Vera. 7.8 million. That's that's Sydney and Melbourne combined. Well, obviously it's atmospheric and very well acted and the script is great. But And it's, it's pretty gruesome and usually really sad, breathtakingly sad. I mean, Sunday night's episode, 
oh, about the death of a woman in a in a sort of hiking area is oh, it's just tragic. Mm. But anyway, um, a lot of characters on the fringe, a lot of uh, family drama. But the reason it works is because it. It is. It, it always has a massive twist about three quarters of the way through, and the way you think it's going, suddenly you go, oh, "Of course, it's them." And this whole different storyline. It's very, very well written. And just very quickly, speaking of well written, one of our other favourites, William Boyd, wrote and and has produced, I think, this wonderful new series that has been airing on Paramount, Paramount Plus, Paramount, called Spy City, which is um, Berlin. Cold War, like 1961, and London. Wonderfully acted, just wonderfully acted. The main character is played by Dominic Cooper, who played, you know, um, William uh, Ian Fleming, Ian Fleming in the sort of oh, in the series, series about... And he also played the um, husband-to-be um, in Mamma Mia, <laughs> Mamma Mia the movie, funnily enough. He's so a, I'm, I'm writing down... I, I, write, I always write these down because I forget. So Spy City, you think, is paramount. Six episodes... Absolutely brilliant story. The interiors, the clothes, the story. Again, um, bit of a twist, bit of a surprise okay. ending. Good. And just think what happens in Berlin in the early 1960s, and that gives you a bit of a hint. But okay. it's a great, great – and the lighting, the lamps in some of the interiors, you just want them in your house, Corrie. Absolutely wonderful. Now, you have – Cooked. You've just become the cake queen this summer. Well, no, I. Ha- that is just. That- Look, thank well, you, thank you, Joe, for saying that. It was, and and it's a complete exaggeration. But it has been. It has been a bit of a fun time in the kitchen because, let's face it, not a lot was happening. Things were being cancelled left, right, and centre over summer. But I did refer to this book last week, and I have been cooking a few things out of it. It's called Simply. Simply, not simple as in Yotta Mota Lingi, simply by UK cook Sabrina Gahour, G-H-A-Y-O-U-R. Jane will put the photo of the book and also the recipe on the show notes. Caro, this is the most delicious cake. You could cook it for the family, put it in lunch boxes, but really with a dob of cream or some beautiful vanilla bean ice cream or even some of that really expensive yogurt that I love. I can't think of the name of it because it's banned now. Does it begin with B? Mm, yes. Yep. It'll come to me. <laughs> it begins with B and it ends with you don't have any money left in your account when you buy it at the supermarket. This is blueberry pistachio and coconut cake. It's not dissimilar in setup to our favourite lime and coconut cake that we've had on the podcast before and you and I cook and serve warm with a lime syrup. But Love this that. is this has blueberries, which of course there are lots of and they're not a bad price at the moment. And it's basically, it's a usual cake, you know, eggs, caster sugar, vanilla bean paste, almond extract, lemon extract, which I had to hunt out far and wide. I think I found it in Geelong. Can't you um, just squeeze a lemon? No. Well, no, well, it, there's a difference. There is a difference. It's, is it syrupy or is it? It's syrupy, yeah. It's like it's like an almond extract, um, but it's a stronger taste, you know. And, um, and then, of course, the desiccated coconut, which is the key to this beautiful cake, unsalted butter, plain flour, baking powder, a a little bit of milk and then pistachio nuts and blueberries. 
here it is. I'm showing all the potties holding this up, but Caro can see it. Doesn't well, it's that look absolutely delicious? It's got blueberries that have swirled through it. Mm, yes, it's really, it's really delicious. So it's a good one for, uh, as I said, for lunch boxes for your bridge parties, Caro, now that you're back playing bridge in person. That's obviously um, the key to selling a cookbook now. Have the word simple or simply in the, in the title and people will flock to it. I think it's very confusing and I suspect that she probably was writing this book and almost had print press the button on print when um yeah when uh, when Yotomatalingi's simple came out but anyway it's a great book i really love it middle eastern chef uh, that's sort of a bent but uh, there's no but actually there it, the the flavors and the recipes are so uh, interesting that's the kind of produce that we use here in australia particularly in melbourne if you use the markets and i just love it so bsf uh, thank you to red energy for sponsoring that little segment and indeed the entire podcast caro what are you grumpy about australian cricket's handling of justin langer's exit oh yes here here i'm not going to i'm not going to go through the whole shebang but Certain things that have happened in the last week, I think, have reflected poorly on media and media organisations. But this reflected very well on the media. Tom Morris, very, very talented young journo, last Monday, about eight days ago, broke the story that Justin Langer's contract was in doubt and there were negotiations going on that were not going well. When a press release comes out from a sporting organisation, and this has happened to me, where they actually name the journo involved and pour cold water over the story, my antenna's up and I think this is a good story. I just know that this is something, and this has happened to Tom Morris before, where he has been absolutely smashed and in one case been forced to apologise and then been proven right. Anyway, that's another story. That was Monday. By Friday, cut to the chase, Justin Langer was gone resigned. They, the, the contract they offered him was insulting. It was only six months, a six-month extension. Everyone has views about um, wh- why on earth would you get rid of someone who's just won you know, the T20 or has just won the Ashes, whatever, regain the ash- re- retained the Ashes. Um, there's another side to that story. Not one cricketer spoke up publicly, certainly, for Justin Langer. And th- there is an argument that a lot of what went on over those victories happened when Justin Langer had been pushed to the sidelines because his micromanagement was driving all the cricketers insane. But just the way Cricket Australia smashed the journo inaccurately made them look foolish and the ex-cricketers coming out swinging in defence now of their old teammate Justin Langer, fair enough, but some of them are directing their anger towards the journos. Don't shoot the messenger, Corrie is all I can say. Another one being Malcolm Conn, who worked for Cricket Australia and then sort of set the the ball rolling, really, with his story with a column last year in The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald where he cast doubt on Justin Langer's future. He's been smashed by ex-cricketers all around Australia. It's a joke. Makes me grumpy. And that is my grumpy of the week for Red Energy. Yeah, good grumpy. And it reminds me of um, this... Bashing the journos reminds me when Peter McFarlane, the late, great Peter McFarlane, who for many years was the cricket writer of the age, when he was crawling all over that World Series story, he knew Kerry Packer was up to something. And everybody in Kerry Packer's office in Channel 9 was 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 demeaning him. You know, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're writing. You don't know what you're talking about. Look what happened. Hey, Carol. I remember he took um, another old friend of ours, Trevor Grant, in London, in England, somewhere out 
for a game of golf that day because he knew the story was going to break, according to some who were on the Trevor Grant side. <laughs> That's sure what that a good Trevor report <laughs> And there weren't mobile phones on the golf course in those days. Very tough, very tough. Anyway. I have another story about him. My very first game of filing a football, it was a night football game, and he was standing in for Neil Mitchell as sports editor of The Age. And I was watching my first game of football going, what do I write? You know, and it's kind of like 10 to 10, 10 o'clock, the deadline's 10.30. I have one paragraph. And he rang up on the office phone at Waverley in the press box and yelled. I think every reporter heard him just go, where's your effing copy? <laughs> I went, I don't know what to write. I don't know. I'm just going to <laughs> oh, Corrie. I had to have serious training after that. And the next week, the next couple of weeks, they sent me off with Jeff Slattery. I had to I had to follow him and learn the ropes. Anyway, um, fond memories of Peter McFarlane, Valet. Hey, Caro, six quick questions. And my first question to you, Barnaby Joyce, should he go or should he stay? Well, he should have gone long ago. And I'm horrified that he's in the job anyway. But you're talking about that text message about Scott Morrison mm. that he sent to um, a group of women. Extraordinary decision to, to do Higgins. so. Extraordinary that it's come out now and it didn't come out a year ago. Difficult. Who's to... leaking? Brittany must have leaked. Well, it, well, well, it was to a group. So it to could a have been a group that in, involved yeah, a, a lot of different women. Um, it was pretty embarrassing for both him and the Prime Minister. And it just shows, you know, this is not, as I say, been a great week for Scott Morrison, but Barnaby Joyce for a number of reasons, not least because of his his attitude to what went on in Glasgow last year, should not be in the job. Corrie, on a political theme again, Peter Dutton or Josh Frydenberg, if there is someone who's going to step up and replace Scott Morrison, which I personally doubt. Well, I think the person who's certainly manoeuvring himself into this role, because we've seen so much of him in the past week, is Peter Dutton. He sees himself as the alternative leader. Indeed, he has for uh, about four years. But I suspect the small L liberals amongst the community and the brethren would prefer Josh Frydenberg. I think they would see him as the safer bet. Uh, So I would probably say on this occasion they will win the day, Josh Frydenberg. But but look, never dismiss the far right, I would um, also say. Carol, how do you feel about Neighbours being axed by its chief funder and sponsor, Channel 5 in the UK? Well, it only highlights to me what an extraordinary success this show has been. After one season on Channel 7, didn't work. I think the Brits got involved. It went to Channel 10. I mean, you and I were in our 20s, weren't we, when Neighbours came out? Speak for yourself. I was nine. No, you actually weren't. But you were very, very young. You were in your 20s. She wasn't, Jane. I love the way Jane actually just gave you a look like, oh, is that right? No, she See, gave she me a look. As a, it. No, she gave me a look. Not a, only am I the cheeky one, the I naughty think, one, I think I'm the you young would, one. I think I would describe that look as quizzical, in fact, Corrie. <laughs> um, th- this is an extraordinary success story. It. Um, they've basically made the decision, Channel 5, that they need to spend... They spend millions of dollars on Neighbours every year and they believe that they should be putting money into local works. I mean... I think that's fair enough. All the more reason for Australia to become a republic, I say. But no, no, I don't really... I'm not for that reason. According to Channel 10, that... um, Well, there's certainly a 50% probability... So half and half at the moment that another network in the UK will take over Neighbours, probably the end show if it doesn't happen. But I don't think, you know, we can be pouring cold water in any way over this show that has been going for so many decades. What a remarkable success. And as someone asked on Melbourne Radio in the last couple of days, do you reckon they would bring Scott and Charlene back? Oh, for the last show, God, like Steve Carell came back for the last one of the office. Where is Jason Donovan? 
Oh, not far away, I don't think. Anyway, Corrie, what is this week's OfficeWorks dilemma? The Big twi- week for the, OfficeWorks, the twenty twenty two The 20... Sorry, the 2022 diary is the dilemma, and I shared this with you the other day, and you and very much like, yep, get the new one. So what I did was, with a quieter life these days, or I thought it was quieter, I thought I would get a little diary because for many years... I've carried a big diary because I've had busy, busy life. And I thought... Well, here Little is the one I'm showing you? Uh, no, it's it's an A5, but it's thin and it's light and it's uh, a week to a week to an op- a, a, a centre, you know, to a spread, a double-page spread. Yep, that's me. Well, well, you told me... I, I said I'm having trouble fitting everything in. It's only the end of January and I'm having trouble fitting in. And you said, no, you've got to bite the bullet and get a new diary, which means I have to enter in all the birthdays. I'm not saying this because I have lots of friends and family. I do have, but I like to have all my birthdays in the. I lost my birthday book about four years ago, so I now put them in the diary, which is really handy because you get to the day and you go, "Oh, it's Jane's birthday today." I'm so, a bit slack about birthdays. I've noted. <laughs> well, I never forget yours, or actually, Miss Jane's. I think we both let slip. No. In recent times, I didn't, Jane. Did I? Oh, all right. Okay. But yeah, anyway, so what's the di- yeah, so, so the dilemma is do you go and buy do you suck it up and go and buy a new diary? Yes. Well the problem is, Carol, before I was here today, I went to Office Works, hardly one left, or not any that I like. Marble, pink, ugh. Um so what do I do? So I've got to just per- persevere. Go to my- a good news agent. Oh, okay. Or or a good bookshop, I hate to say it, but they sell the best diaries, as you know. Okay. Um what's your Cut flowers, GLT. Oh, we're bringing back the GLT. That's cute. Well, people have been talking about hydrangeas in recent days. I think you were part of the conversation. Now, our friend Jenny Smith would say the reason hydrangeas often don't work in vases is because the minute you cut them, the bottom bit closes over. So Smash, smash, smash. You can smash them with a hammer. Look at Miss Jane's got a oh, pointing to her little display here today, which we will put in our show notes. And also, she has Souvenir de Malmaison, the most beautiful rose. Stunning. Can't you smell it? It's Stunning. a gorgeous posy, Jane. But I, I would God say, God, we got you off the streets, out of the neighbourhood, and into your own garden. And Jenny Smith also would say to plunge them into boiling water and then cold water, or maybe it's the other way around. All I do, <laughs> it's a big difference. <laughs> Well, Jenny, one could other. you let us know so but we get it right? What I do is, and, you know, they can last in a vase. And I'm sorry about your pork chops, Jen, too. Yes, I know. It was very rude. They weren't pork chops. They were pork fillets. fillets. Um, you just snip them up the middle of the stem. The minute you're about to plunge them into a vase, which I put with um, in a vase, I put a whole lot of, like a whole tray of ice in the vase as well. So you've got ice water and ice floating around. So it, the stems become very receptive to the water. You snip them up the middle of the stem and the second you've done it, you plunge them in the water. Second one, tulips. Now, everyone I've has done a, this. I've done this on the podcast a few times. It, well, I'm doing it again. Everyone has an issue with tulips and how they stop, they don't droop immediately. And this is advice I received in Amsterdam. So you would think it was good because they would know how to look after tulips. No pins, no refrigerator. When you buy tulips, you know how you buy flowers and they come surrounded by a bit of cellophane or plastic or whatever. Keep them in the plastic or the cellophane. Before you put them in the vase, cut the snips off the bottom. No powder or any of that stuff you put in vases. Keep them in the wrapping for 24 hours. And in that time, that is the time when the tulips suck up all the water from the vase and keep their structure. So if you take – and they look funny, obviously, in a vase. Like imagine Jane's lovely – 
bouquet here with plastic around it. You take the cellophane off after 24 hours and by then it's retained its structure and they will not droop for days later because really? you've done that. And I'm it not re- quite sure how that works in my head, but um, I'll, it really I'll go works. with it. I'll keep, go with it. Keep them in the cellophane for one day after you've snipped them and put them in the vase. Corrie, you are going to deliver this week's amazing fact. Yes, I just wanted to tell you about Wordle, Cara. Are you doing Wordle? No, I know that people are, though. Yeah, okay. So it, um, an American software engineer, Josh Wardle, created this uh, for his partner who loved word games. And uh, I think they shared it with a couple of friends. It's a web-based word puzzle. You do it on your iPhone or your laptop. And it was launched last October when one of the friends sort of leaked it to another and they all had fun and everybody loved it. And it has now become, of course, a viral sensation. In fact, I'm part of a Wordle WhatsApp group, uh, you'll be pleased to know, with our friends and friends of the pod too, actually, Jeff Slattery, who just refuses to do it but finds the back and forward from and Mike Sheehan and myself. So Mike and I are doing it. We call ourselves golfers who wordle because I just couldn't think of anything more interesting. Um, <laughs> but um, it has been acquired by the by the New York Times. So the fact, uh, there's not really a fact. It's just sort of an observation for those people who wondered what wordle was all about. It's just been acquired by the New York Times. Millions of people around the world are doing it every day. It's very quick. You have to just come up with, you get five blank spots and you've got to work out what your five letter word is. And I've, you've got I've heard about it ad nauseum on the radio yeah, over the last few weeks. Yeah. yeah. So so it's been acquired by the New York Times and the big question is will there be a firewall? Will we have to pay uh, to get uh, sorry, a paywall a pay- to get sorry, not a firewall. firewall. A paywall to get through to it. And of course Wordle people are up in arms. But the New York Times has said our number one priority is around users and engagement. Our strategy is to have more people spending more time with the Times. So we're not really concerned about making them pay. Well, I just don't believe you, New York Times spokesperson. I think at some point you're going to be cashing in. But Wordle is a phenomenon. And if you haven't done it, just type in Wordle and it will in Google and it will come up and away you go. You can start wordling away. Another, it's so much fun. Oh, another online addiction. Uh, well, I don't have a lot, Caro. Uh, but look, um, I do like this one. It's better than self-love. What about words with friends? No, I'm off that now. Oh, you used to be addicted to that. Mm, no, I was really addicted. You, mm. Sometimes you just got to go cold turkey and get rid of the app. Uh, lovely to chat, Caro. Lovely to have your company, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, Red Energy. Red Energy was awarded the CanStar's most trusted energy retailer nationally for 2021. That's how good they are. And, of course, Prince Wine Store. And thanks again to Gab for joining us today. You can connect with the Don't Shoot the Messenger gang which is basically Caro, Jane and me, um, via Instagram, Don't Shoot Pod, or Facebook or Twitter. And if you'd like to get our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, just hit the sign-up button on Facebook uh, or contact feedback at Don't Shoot Pod and Jane will send you a link. Please recommend us to your friends or three or four because that helps other people find us. The more clicks we get and the downloads we get, the more popular we are and that's how it all works. Caro, what do we say Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.